you know, this entire natural movement, barefoot running, minimalist shoes, et cetera, this whole thing really started in 2009 with the publishing of the book Born to Run and also an article from Daniel Lieberman from Harvard. But Born to Run was really the thing that kicked it off. And I am thrilled to say that we're going to be talking with the author of the original and the co-authors of the new Born to Run 2. And you're going to have a blast on this episode of the Movement Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body. Starting feet first and where we break down the propaganda and the mythology and sometimes the flat out lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or do yoga or CrossFit or dance or whatever you do on your feet and to do that enjoyably, efficiently, effectively and Wait, did I say enjoyably? Trick question. I know I did because I always say it because, look, if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep it up. So don't do it if it ain't fun. Um, I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com, your host of the Movement Movement podcast. And we call it that because we, and that includes you, and I'll tell you how in a second. It's really easy. It doesn't cost anything. We are creating a movement about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do instead of getting in the way with technology that uh, is supposed to improve things that doesn't often do that. So um, when you get a chance, Chance, go over to our website, www.jointhemovementmovement.com. You'll find all the previous episodes, all the ways you can engage with us, find us on social media, um, find the podcast wherever you find podcasts, leave comments, give us a thumbs up and a review and a like and a bell icon on YouTube to get notified about uh, other episodes. And in short, um, you know, you know what to do. Just if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. When you go to jointhemovementmovement.com, by the way, there's nothing to do to join. There's no cost. There's no secret handshake. There's no mantra. There's no whatever. It's just a place. That's the domain. So here we are, Christopher McDougall, Eric Orton. It is such a pleasure to have you guys here. And I'm being completely sycophantic when I say that. <laughs> wow. Steven, you know, my emotion is right now. It is blinding regret that I didn't come up with the movement movement. <laughs> Dude, Eric, seriously, should we have called Born to Run to the movement movement? It's not too late. It's not. Um, stickers. Well, if, if we go by Steven, I already got the website, Movement hey, Movement 2. Hey, I will sell you the domain for just a fraction <laughs> of the multi-million dollars that it's worth. Right on. I'm just, I'm struck by that because it's, everybody wants to be part of a movement. It's got the play on words that gives you that stutter step for one second where you got to process it. And then when you yeah. get it, you get the gratification of having solved a little mini riddle and it catches your attention for that reason. Yeah, I feel like I have to step out of the podcast and just be alone for a little while. I yeah. process some emotions. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to you. That's okay. Just get, take a nap, get a little Goodbye. hot tea, get some chamomile, have a massage. <laughs> right. Wrap myself in a blanket and feel better. Anyway, yeah. Stephen, thank you. Um, Whatever it takes. I, I also want to lead off with a question. So I'm very curious about this. You know, a lot of times people will either, you know, give me credit, like, oh, you started this thing, or they'll say, why do you think Born to Run took off? And I'm very curious about this. My intuition is that this was out there. Uh, and it really wasn't Lieberman because he actually does not mention feet. No, he, well, he didn't mention feet, but he was, but he was, I mean, for people who, was it, was it in science or nature? I can never remember. You nature. Know, nature. So it's an article in nature and it was just showing what happens when you take runners who are habitually barefoot and put them in shoes effectively. And it was also just showing what yeah. happens with the forces that you apply and how these forces uh, happen if you're running in shoes versus not in shoes. So, I mean, that was the gist of that, but it did happen somewhat, you know, not simultaneously, but kind of in that same time frame as when Born to Run came out. Yeah. Well, so, so I guess my question is, were these forces in the non-academic world already building? My intuition is 
that there had to be a groundswell, a, a dawning awareness in the general population that we're getting conned, that something is not right here. Yeah. And the born to run sort of crystallized a suspicion that was already pretty widespread. I think I'm going to take it in a slightly different way because I don't think people thought they were getting conned. I thought they were just confused or at the end of their rope about figuring out what they needed to do to be happy, healthy, enjoyable runners um, because they've been having problems. I mean, when we did a survey about what got people into the idea of minimalist footwear at all, the number one topic. I mean, there's a, it was somewhat broad, but basically uh, pain and injury. It was, you know, I'm have been having these problems and I can't solve it. And the analogy I like to give is that the running shoe world, and it's not just running shoes, but I'll use that as an example. It's sort of like, and the companies that make those shoes, it's like, it's the boy who, well, let's do it this way. In the boy who cried wolf, the villagers eventually got smart and they stopped running every time the boy cried wolf. In the running shoe world, it's the running shoe company that cried cushioning or art support or motion control. And the problem is the villagers never got smart because the companies are really, really good at presenting physics improperly in a way that convinces them that this new thing they're doing is awesome, even though they've never said sorry about that crap we've been selling up until now. Here's the new one. This one's great. So I think that was part of it. Now, you know, it's amazing too. Hey, Eric, sorry, but what I love is in almost any interview I've ever had over the years, people who want to challenge minimalism will come at me with, with like, well, how do you know, Bear Peter? And what's the proof? I'm like, wait a minute. When did your natural body part has to justify itself? How do you know your liver is really good at screening out your blood? You know, maybe... You know, no, dude, if you're going to add a prosthetic to your body, you know, you have to prove it actually adds a benefit. and doesn't detract. And it's amazing how the running shoe companies have reversed it to make you justify what your foot naturally does as opposed to make them justify what they're trying to sell you. Again, it's brilliant marketing that caters caters to a number of natural human tendencies. We like new things. We think that, you know, some new thing is always better. We think that for a while we thought big companies were smart. This is a joke that I have at the end of my, um, uh, I did two videos. One was uh, shit barefoot runners say and the other shit runners say two barefoot runners, part of the shit people say meme. And uh, the end of the second one of what runners say to barefoot runners, um, wait, I've got to, I, I got to get a prop to do this. I go, oh, you're telling me that uh, big companies do things that knowingly hurt people, <laughs> you know? So, but they, my half joke about that is, you know, it's a shame that running shoes don't kill people because then we would have a Philip Morris like, uh, you know, congressional trial, but they don't. Now, wait, I want to, so I got to back up a little bit and do two things. First of all, um, Chris and Eric. So Eric is often the quiet one, and I'm going to do things to make that not be the case as much as I can. But between Chris and I, that's tough because we are talkers. And I just like Eric, to sit here and learn something. Uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, um, so, but but do me a favor, actually, because now to your point that there was something in the air, I would say there was a little something in the air. And why I say that is, what did Born to Run sell? Like three million copies. If there was something yeah. really in the air, it would have been 30 million copies. So there's, I, and a lot of people read it just because they love the adventure story. They loved your personal story of becoming a, a happy, healthy runner. It's shocking to me, the number of people who A, have read the book and never did anything 
with the information they got from it. And that's where we're going to talk about with Born to Run 2. But even more shocking, frankly, is the number of people who are customers of ours, who've got, who I bump into, who are into the whole minimalist footwear idea, who have never heard of the book, which was has been stunning to me. Everyone who reads it is like, wow, I love it. People who are not runners, great adventure story. The science part is fascinating. I mean, it's just so well done. But it is, it's an interesting thing about who has and hasn't read it. Now, Chris or Eric, one of you will jump in because Chris was the author of that book, but Eric, you were an important part of that book. So do you guys want to talk about that? Yeah. I do have one thought. I, I do want to talk before. <laughs> Steve, I think we should make this whole thing, like setting Eric up to talk and then never letting him talk. <laughs> right? But the thing is, I'm fine with that. I know that's the problem. It's like, it's, it's like a running joke from uh, from Jimmy Kimmel, where at the end, you know, he's always bumping Matt Damon. But of course, you know, Matt Damon yeah. was never there. And then one time they bumped Matt Damon and then Matt Damon was there to argue about being bumped. So it's brilliant. <laughs> so, um, I just want to say one thought. You know, it's funny because you, you just triggered a thought that I hadn't had before. I love Born to Run, but it was a venture into the unknown. I had never written anything like it. I would never experienced anything like it. And getting my arms around that story was very challenging. Mm. And I was very happy that I could bring it in for a landing. But in, in some ways, I feel like it's an, it was an Apollo 13 kind of thing. Okay, luckily we had the sock. We got the thing in for a landing. But Born to Run 2, and especially because of the collaboration with Eric, I've also never collaborated with anyone before on a mm. book. I feel like, Eric, this is our masterpiece. I feel that Born to Run 2 is a superior book to Born to Run in the sense that there's so much more knowledge and insight and maturity, whereas Born to Run was, hey, here's a crazy adventure. I think I learned a couple of things along the way. Let's see. This, I feel like we really have mastery of the information, and mostly because I could bounce everything off of you, like, here's what I think, and you could either say, yeah, you're right, or you're way off. So the collaboration with you, created a book that was way better than any I've ever done before. Eric, this is your time to say something with that. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you, I have one more thing. You, you want me to speak, but then you leave me speechless by you saying that. Bravo. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, that's awesome for you to say that. And it was, I mean, it, I'm still honored to this day to even be considered a part of this collaboration. And it was just an amazing experience to work with you. And regardless of what you think, you know, there still has to be a one before there's a two. And, you know, I don't know. And that goes into why we why we called it what we did, right? Born to Run 2. It's a sequel. It's a continuation. So in, in a lot of ways, maybe for us and for me, it's it's just all one thing. So I'm stupid enough that I did not bring the copy of the book that you sent me. Do you guys have one handy? Hold, just hold it up and yeah. show human beings. So well, now note the, note the subtitle, The Ultimate Training Guide. I think that's really important. And then the top part has Chris and Eric's name on there. And and this is the thing. I think that had you tried to do this one first, and of course you couldn't have because we all learned so much in the last 13 years. But had you even tried, it would have been just another one of those books that was ostensibly a, quote, you know, barefoot running book that would have gotten some attention, but not the kind of attention that I think this one's going to get because it is coming in on the heels 13 years later of the original book. And uh, so I'm really interested in seeing what happens for people who haven't seen the book. Um, when you do, first of all, it is gorgeous. 
Um, just all the pictures in there. I mean, it is a really beautiful book. You're going to see it and go, it's a paperback and it's costing whatever the hell it's costing. Um, worth every penny just for the production value. So too bad Chris is leaving to go to the bathroom right now. I think that's, uh, I don't know where he's going. Um, I, want, oh, I, want, I want to get the full color copy. Ooh, two covers. Oh, there yeah, we go. The UK oh, back cover. it up. Yeah, back it up, back it up. Uh, but little little things like these kind of pictures. Yeah. And it's not just for it's not just for the sake of having pretty pictures, because the way the book is. Well, I want to talk about so many things. But here, why don't you talk about the way the book is organized, the way it relates to the app? And then we're going to come back to Oh, look at that. Then we're going to come back to I want to talk more about, you know, you and Eric and how you guys connected and what that's turned into. But just while we're here, let's talk about how this book is structured, what people are going to get from it and how the app plays into that. I sort of address the uh, point that you brought first, like why it looks the way it does. And this is a concept we had from the beginning before we even actually had a manuscript was, I think Eric and I both shared this idea of like, wow, we thought 13 years ago when Born to Run came out, it would kind of send this message that running is for everybody. Because we know what's cool about the people that were down for that Born to Run race is it was a really weird collection, you know, that none of us had anything in common. I'm pretty sure not even the same genome at all. I'm not even 100% sure we're all mammals. You got Barefoot Ted, you got Scott George, you got Eric and Lewis and Caballo Blanco. A weird collection. And I always felt like the message of that book is, this is just a fun activity, dude, to get out and have an adventure. And yet, since then, running has, again, reverted back to its sort of, of marketing mean of yeah. skinny blonde people uh, striving to go as fast as they can. And so we had this idea like, man, we want this book to smack people in the face with a visual image that is colorful, it's alive, and it involves everybody. And so we wanted, you know, gender fluid people and people with prosthetics and people of various ages and body types and complexions and colors on every single page. I want to pound this message through. And it's true, every single page, no matter who you look at, is somebody, somebody. who looks more like your neighbor or your friend than somebody who's posing for a Lululemon ad. Well, so, but I want to address one other thing. While this is very much about running, is it, I'll just ask it this way so you can say yes or no, is this only for people who want to become runners or get better at running? Well, I'll answer that by telling you why I'm so annoyed that I didn't think of calling it the movement movement. <laughs> You're not going to let that because go. Because it's bugging me, man. It's really good. And I promise I will lateral the ball to Eric after this, but you know, Eric's point from the beginning is that running is athleticism. What caught his imagination about the Tarumada is these aren't great runners. These are great athletes who can use their athleticism to run long distances. But the athleticism allows them to be multi-movement, multi-directional people who can do squats and jump and crawl and climb. And that all-around mobility is what allows them to then flow across the landscape. But that's been Eric's message to me from the beginning. Dude, I'm not going to make you into a good runner. I'm going to make you into a good athlete. And what you do with it after that is your own business. Pick it up, dude. All right. So to answer your question, Stephen, I got a call from an 84-year-old woman in New York to say, I can't wait to start trying these recipes. So that's to answer your question. Regardless that it was my mother... <laughs> See, that's surprising because normally you know got mothers some are... great recipes in so hopefully the person who maybe is not the runner who wants to try all the great recipes ultimately reads the book and wants to become a runner 
And I want to highlight that that's the way the book is structured is with these that it's this is not just informational. This is basically every chapter is a little something that you can do, a little nibble of that recipe where you can experiment and see what your body does and see how that how it responds. And if you don't think you ever want to run, that's fine. You might find some things in there that you like doing anyway. But there's a high probability at one point you're going to go, oh, let's see what happens if I run based on all this. Um, and if you are a runner, there's, you know, you might think some of these things are basic. And I would argue that you're probably wrong um, or you might be right. But there's always there's definitely going to be things that you find where you go, oh, let me try that and see what that does. Uh, and that's the part that's really interesting. And there is an app that goes with it. Please fill in the blank. Yeah. So the app is just, you know, in this world that we live in now is just a digital um, support system for the book itself. So um, once you get the book, you have a QR code to give you the instructions to download the app and you can put it on your phone and you can have the 90 day program with all the support um, videos to go along with it, along with you every day. It's And it's very, very cool. So you're going to like that too. So, th- so I want to back up now um, in a couple different ways. So I'm going to give this one to Eric for you to start the conversation. So again, you were um, not a co-author of Born to Run, but you were um, notably featured in there. Say more about that and how you guys can basically tell people who the hell you are, because yeah. you're the one coming from behind the curtain out of the shadows uh, and now getting visible in a way that I think you should have ages ago. But say something more about who you are, what you do, and then how you connect with the other guy over there yeah so I, I live in jackson hole wyoming but i actually spent 11 years in denver and quite a bit of time up your way when i all through the 90s i i competed in triathlons and mountain races so i was riding up left-hand canyon road in boulder and up the ward and all around the places that you can't bike anymore <laughs> because of the the sprawl um but and then so then I was dabbling in coaching while I was director of fitness at the University of Colorado Health Science Center. And that kind of just piqued my interest about maybe possibly making this a career. And at that point, I was one of a handful of guys and gals that were spearheading the online coaching world, where back in the late 90s, we kind of we were the first to have coaching websites and to really kind of give permission for the everyday athlete that having an online coach was an okay thing. And that really kind of got me thinking about, hey, this could be a career. My wife and I decided to move to Jackson Hole, and that's when I went full-time coaching, and that was 2001. And I've been coaching, operating my online business ever since full-time. And then... In 2005, Chris and I crossed paths. He was commissioned to do an article for me for Men's Journal on my coaching and training up here in Jackson. And we actually had to meet in Denver because we needed a a non-snowy scene for a summer issue, but it was in February. (laughs) And that was right when uh, he, I think maybe it was March. But anyway, that was right when he got back from the Copper Canyon the first time. And so we met in Denver to do this two-day kind of training um, piece for, for this magazine. And all we wanted to do was talk about his, his experience meeting the Tarmara Indians and going down to the Copper Canyon. And after day one of that two days, it was quite apparent to me that here's a guy who really wants to run and can't. So we, I ripped up the script for day two, and we spent all, all that Sunday in – Denver City Park working on Chris's running 
And then that eventually led to the idea of, hey, maybe maybe he could go down to the Copper Canyon again and do the 50-mile race. And they say that's that's how it all kind of kind of got rolling. You know, the meeting story from all couples is different no matter who you talk to. So let's turn to the other side of the couple and hear your version of that. I think the only thing that I would add to it is my extreme skepticism and doubt and surrender. Like I was, I was over the running thing. You know, I tried it and I was getting hurt a lot. And, you know, nobody enjoys being looked in the face and eyed up and down by a doctor and told, you don't have the body to do something, you know? Uh, and I heard this all the time. I would uh, go and I was seeing top guys. I was seeing top sports therapists because Philadelphia, where I was living, has a lot of pro sports teams to so a lot of uh, sports uh, medicine doctors. And uh, I, would, I would go see them and say, oh, listen, I'm having this pain in my heel. And they're like, yeah, why, why are you running? You're 240 pounds, you're six foot five, uh, buy a bike, you know, get in the pool. And so it, it's, I, I don't think you realize what that kind of message sets into your subconscious. It tells you that you're not good enough to do this. And so I, I didn't want it. I didn't want the, the pain and I didn't want the embarrassment. So I just stopped, I gave up on it. So I'm having this conversation with him and for me, it's coming at him from a, pers- a perspective of, you can say whatever you want. I'm not doing this. And if I do, it's not going to work. Um, but he did one thing that day was we were in City Park and he said, hey, let's just do this, right? Take your shoes off. And let's just jog around the grassy area a little bit. I'm like, well, whatever. Okay, I'll do this. And then he goes, hey, uh, just sprint for 30 seconds. And I didn't know how to process that because I had not sprinted. Like sprinting is a movement that I had not done in maybe like 15 years. Like who sprints out of high school? You don't sprint for any reason. So exactly, right? And look at you. You're yeah. not the example we're holding up to the general population. Yeah. I mean like this guy. So I had to sprint and I flamed out. Like I couldn't sprint for 30 seconds because I couldn't pace it. You know, after 20 seconds, I'm, I'm sucking air. But the next time I did, like, oh, hey, I, I, I timed it so I could actually sprint for 30 seconds and I didn't pull a hamstring. That little bit of playful movement was so invigorating and it's somehow in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, A, this dude might be onto something. And B, whatever we just, just did, I would like to do it again. You know, he didn't have to tell me, he didn't have to set out a schedule. It was such a glow through my system that I didn't have to feel like I have to do it because I ate too much food or I ought to do it for any reason. There was no have to or should. It was like, I want to do this again. It's funny and not haha funny, funny, strange that, you know, you, uh, I remember during the pandemic, there was one high school track out on the east side of town that the neighborhood is predominantly Hispanic. And so I'd go to the track to work out and it was all families hanging out. So all the guys of every age were playing soccer, all the moms were making food and all the little kids were running around the track and they all a had perfect form. Sometimes they were wearing shoes. Most of the time they weren't. Uh, and they were, they had this look on their face that um, I think psychologists call it smiling. They were, just, <laughs> you know, they were just happy. They ran till they were done laughing. Then they'd sit down, then they'd get back up a minute later and do it again. And it was just for fun, often holding hands with each other as they did it. I mean, it was just flat out play. And that's the thing that I think people have forgotten, not only that that's possible when you're running, but you know, that that's a guidepost. That's the thing to 
to aspire to. And there's no reason you can't do that. I think I know I told you, actually, when I teach people to run, we'll go out in a park, take off their shoes. And I go, just watch how, you know, like really little kids, toddlers, when they're just learning to, they've just gotten past walking and they're starting to figure out running. Their heads are ginormous. And so they kind of lean their head and that sets their balance off. And then they have to try to catch up to their head, which they can never do. And then they try and their head goes the other way. And I go, just let your arms kind of flail. Don't worry about your arms and just, you know, let your head lean and just pick it in different directions and do it until you don't care that somebody might be watching because FYI, no one's watching. And if they are, they don't know who you are. And if they do know who you are, they're going to want to join anyway. So get over the self-consciousness and then just do it till you're having fun. And it only takes a few minutes till people just start having fun and they don't care about what's happening around them. And then you can kind of take that weird thing of let your head lead and just, you know, don't let it lead quite so much or let it lead in one direction and slowly another instead of, you know, just careening you from one side to the other. And um, uh, and then suddenly people are running and having a good time. And they similarly, they just forgot that that's doable. And just that invitation is, you know, can be the door that opens to allow so many other things. That's been something that was so instrumental in the exercises that Eric came up with because they trick people into having fun before they realize it. And but you're right though, if you tell somebody, hey, just run so your arms flop around, they, they can't do that because there has to be a right way and you're self-conscious. Yeah. But you know, Eric does a couple of things, just a simple one of pogoing, just pogoing and bouncing in place. And when you tell someone to do it, they're gonna be self-conscious, they're gonna be wondering if they're doing it right. They'll be asking you a million questions. And he'll just say, just bounce, dude. Just bounce and you'll figure it out. And yeah. what you see is the self-concern and self-doubt just start to fade from their faces and then the smile creeps in and they're having fun and then they're bouncing from side to side. We do this rock lobster drill where we tell people to run in place barefoot to the song of rock lobster. They resist, they resist, and they start to do it. And there's a freaking dance party within two minutes. Uh, But that's the beauty of it. Once you get people to stop thinking about how they ought to do it and just shake it out, then suddenly that fun's back. I've got to give you a totally semi-unrelated tangential story. Um, I'll I'll abbreviate it dramatically. I was at a workshop-y thing that there was a lot of middle-aged women who happened to be there. And at the end of the day, you know, sometimes we have a little dance party and they'd play whatever. And um, I put on Baby's Got Back. And so if you don't know, it's like, I like big butts and I cannot lie. Anyway, the song starts and these women are aghast. And within another 30 seconds, they are shaking it. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you got to trick people to get them in. <laughs> yeah. Eric, check out the beats per minute on that one. Oh, yeah. I will. I will. That'd be a good one. We're going to find out whether that's a, a run into play song. That would be yeah. perfect. Yeah, that would yeah. be really, yeah, really yeah. fun. So I want to uh, dive into some, uh, I was going to ask some things about Born to Run. Actually, I want to ask a couple of questions about the original book and then, yeah, whatever. So when did it actually come out? 2009. Beginning of? Uh, May, 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 May 5th. When did it really start to take off? End of that summer. So it came out in May. It was pretty much universally ignored, or so I thought. Uh, It was not reviewed. It was not publicized. uh, It was not on TV or anything. But it started to gain a little traction. I I was going around doing personal appearances. You know, I would show up at at 10Ks or at running clubs or running shoe stores and say, hey, I got this book. And you know, if I could just talk to you for five minutes. So I was basically selling out of the back of my car for a few months. But it started to get a little bit of word of mouth. And then the big sort of skyrocket was when I got out of the blue. I got invited on The Daily Show uh, back when um, – what's the name of the host of The Daily Show? His name's just up my mind. Well, John. It was John Stewart. Back, John Stewart. Back, John Stewart. 
And then at that moment, pow, it took off. But even still, even after it came out, there, it had a, a, a glow. But again, it was never getting any publicity. Like to this day, I've uh, never been on like an NPR, major NPR program or barely on any kind of television programs. It never gets mainstream publicity. But the word of mouth and kind of networking among runners and other people has kept it alive for a long time. And so uh, I got three related questions. So what was the part uh, since the book came out, what's been the most uh, happy making, most gratifying thing that's happened from your perspective? And you can both answer this if you like. Why don't you start, yeah. Eric? I got to think um, about this. Uh, yeah, that's super easy. It's getting all the emails that essentially look at Chris and saying, hey, I'm just like Chris. Thanks for the giving us hope and uh, confidence that we can all be runners and how we want to become. And it really... And that's what I really like about Born to Run 2, of how Chris opened Born to Run 2. Of Kind of this came full circle for him, is that so many people were inspired by Chris. And here's someone who came in last in the race, and he inspired millions. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Chris? I think there's two things. One is a very personal one. Now that our friend Mike True has passed, he was a very problematic guy to be friends with uh, because he's unfriendly. But I look back and so much of what he said and lived was it, like exactly what I'm trying to say. Well, that guy was doing it in every aspect of his life. And to have been able to capture that story that of a guy who really should have been invisible, you know, he should have been down there in the canyon unnoticed until the day he drew his last breath. And he would have been thrilled. Uh, His story never. Yeah. Pretty much. There's something out there. Like He knew he was on to something. He kind of wanted to spread the word, yet he didn't want to talk to anybody long enough to actually tell him the story. Eric and I went to Leadville once when I was training for the Leadville Trail 100. And uh, we invited, hey, Micah, do you want to come and train with us at Leadville? And we actually had a ball with him. So me, Eric, and Micah were out running trails all day. He was so fun, so upbeat. He was like a golden retriever off the leash. And yet we come back into town and we go out for pizza. And someone comes up to him and goes, hey, are you Micah? And give him this look like, yeah, I heard you got a raise. Yeah, yeah, you can find it online. I'm like, dude, you're the worst self-promoter. You're so fucking rude. So on a certain individual basis, he was adorable. But in, in a group, you know, in a public setting, he was just miserable. He, so, yeah, I think there was something. So I, I think he would have liked it for his story to be out there. Yeah. But he didn't want he did not want to be the vehicle. And so the um, fact that we were able to get that, like, wow, we got that story, and now the world knows it. Yeah. Um, it was something I think really special. Well, this is a related question, perhaps. And if you don't have a different answer for this, I will understand. But what's been the most surprising thing since the original book? I have one in my head. Um, that it's taken 13 years to have a freaking movie or TV show made about it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, uh, wait, we're going to come back to that. And Chris, your answer first. Well, you know, my big surprise was it ever turned into the Barefoot Running book. You know, I think I've told you, Stephen, that that was the chapter I was going to take out of the book. Uh, I was very... (laughs) I forgot about that. Have I not not told you that? No, you did. I just totally forgot. I was so on the fence. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. And I literally would have a a manuscript draft. And I would take the chapter out and I read it and put it back in and went in and out, in and out, like, like packing socks in the suitcase, you know, and... And finally, in the end, and the reason why, there are, two, there are two reasons why I was going to take it out. Number one was, stylistically, it is the only chapter that is not narrative. It's not storytelling. Right. It is uh, essay-ish. And I really felt hesitant about breaking the flow of the adventure. Like, hey, 
let's all stop and like look at the whiteboard for a minute. But the second reason why was because once you start to do that research and you start to talk to people about minimalism, to me, the evidence was so overwhelming. Like, this is so fucking obvious. Why am I putting, you know, and right. after you, so you spent two years working on a book, after two years of being immersed in that world, I thought everybody must know this by now. Like, I just assume that the word is already spread outside of my knowledge. And so I thought it's too obvious right? and it disrupts the flow. And then I thought the last minute, I'm like, well, you know, maybe just in case I should leave this in. So that was a surprise that it became really the identifying brand of the book. It is kind of funny that people really think of it as a book about barefoot running, which it's far from, but I would contend, I mean, I'm glad you kept that chapter in because I thought my experience of that was, it was kind of a good break at that time. It was, you know, the, what I love about the book is because there's your personal story, there's the Tatamata story, there's the race story. I mean, there's like all these things that kind of weave in. It was just a nice little respite where you get to go, huh, and think about it in a slightly different way. So, you know, it's a good rhythmical change. I'm going to answer the question for, for me. The biggest thing that surprised me is I think that book was really catalytic in uh, creating the whole ultra running community in the ultra running world and the interest in doing, you know, uh, marathon and beyond um, because of, I don't think most people knew about the Leadville 100. Um, I don't think people clearly, many people didn't know about the Tarumara as well. So it just opened people's minds and it made it a thing. Now to that point, I'm actually going to use this to lead into the next question. The next question, but don't answer it yet, is what's the most disappointing thing since the book? And for me, the most disappointing thing is that it turned ultras into like the thing that you need to be able to do and made that this whole competitive something thing instead of the communal fun, whatever way people used to approach that before, where it just didn't have that, you know, like it, it took what was for people a personal challenge to do a marathon and then gave them yet another thing where they're often pushing themselves way beyond the point of having fun. So that's my disappointing thing. And that's not just coming because I'm a sprinter, but it's just like, you know, when I, when I see the way people are approaching ultras, it's with a certain kind of, you know, I've got to do it. That definitely looks like they're not enjoying the process, knowing that, you know, running a 50 mile or 50 K or hundred mile or 24 hour, any of those things, you know, it's going to suck at certain points regardless, but there's different ways of approaching that. There's different ways of, you know, handling the suck factor. Yeah. For me, I think it, in one hand, it was the barefoot thing because I've encountered so many people that created a mindset of in their mind of what born to run was. And they thought it was all about barefoot because I have all the time people come up to me and say, oh, I finally read born to run. And it was a great book. And I'm like, duh, you know, and so it, they completely had this image of what it was about because it became such a born or a, a barefoot conversation. Right. That it's just so much more than that, obviously. And even though there was a, you know, the barefoot was a good thing. I think it was also a detriment to maybe having it go even further. Mr. McDougal. See this? See this? Yes. This is that is a full. bottle with water in it. It's or half full. I wait, hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold do. on. Wait. I'm assuming it's water. Could be vodka. <laughs> That's right. That's why this thing coming more and more animated every minute. Um, I got to say that, I'm still so stunned by uh, the happy reaction to the book and all the good ripples in every direction that I can't say there's anything disappointing. And if I do, I got to check myself and remind myself, hey, a lot of good. Like, here, here, let me give you, for instance. So Micah's dream was to create this 
buffer zone down the Copper Canyons where the Tarahumara would get the attention and respect they would deserve as true curators of this amazing ability, plus these gentle people who have like sort of solved a lot of life's problems, you know, that they have outstanding health and healthy uh, diet and they are nonviolent. Um, but then a couple of years later, cartel violence sort of in, intruded around Urique and the race had to be canceled. But yet since then, that Urique race has spread and grown. And now there's a second race on another part of the Copper Canyons. And so, you know, I can say, hey, I'm disappointed that Caballo never saw his vision of mm-hmm. a kind of a U.N. buffer zone around the, uh, the community. On the other hand, it, it is still spreading. It's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. So, you know, I would like to see things happen faster. But the fact that they're happening it, to me is, is, is a good sign. So I, I got to say, I, I'm, I'm still thrilled beyond belief that this weird story, you know, when you work on a book, you sit by yourself with an idea. And you don't know if any sentence makes sense. You don't know if you sound ridiculous. You don't know if anyone's going to read this thing. And to be now 13 years later and have people still picking up for the first time, like that's, that's, that's a supercharge, cool. man. That's cool. It's, it's a good one. Yeah. Have you ever, um, you know, there's a, a writer that I and I'll say, cheers to that. Back to the gin and tonic. <laughs> gin and tonic. There's a, a writer that I know who um, he said his fantasy, he'll know he's famous if he's sitting on an airplane and someone who doesn't know who he is pulls out one of his books uh, and starts reading it. He said, instead, one time I'm on an airplane I'm in the middle seat and there's someone reading the pro OJ book on one side and the anti OJ book on the other side. He goes, that's the closest I've come and that had nothing to do with me, but it was too brilliant. <laughs> um, but it actually reminds me, one of the other things that sort of disappoints me um, personally and professionally and intellectually since the book came out is that whenever people bring up the conversation about natural movement, about barefoot running, about minimalist footwear, et cetera, um, Anytime there's a mainstream article or even a bunch of podcasts, um, they try to present the information as if both quote sides of the argument are somehow equal. And so, you know, or and there's a variation on that Um, early on, maybe early 2010, I was at a panel discussion here in Boulder, um, a bunch of physical therapists and running coaches and whatnot. A few hundred people in the audience, and uh, um, and what I could tell is all most of the people on the panel had clearly never taken off their shoes. Had they, they were just making up stories about what was going on. And finally, I just said, "Can anyone here just raise their hand if you've run at least a mile on pavement?" And I was the only hand that went up. And I'm a sprinter. I don't even like running a mile. So I said, "You know, if you haven't done that, you don't know what you're talking about. But you're presenting information as if your info, which is totally coming out of opinions." is equivalent to people who had experience and who've done these things that you say other normal humans can't do. It's going to take years till you could do it. You know, you got to have the right body type. I mean, all the stuff that we've, we had demonstrably seen was completely false. And that still goes on to this day. So there'll be some article featuring, you know, our various research friends, and they'll have someone on the other side who's just got an opinion that's not based on anything. Um, I did a uh, recently. I did a pitch for investors, and I said, "Look, I'm gonna to, before I can tell you what makes zero shoes life changing, I got to show you what's wrong with modern athletic shoes." And some of you are going to disagree with what I'm going to say, but you got to understand two things. One, I'm one of the leading experts on the planet about this stuff, and the other is where'd you get that belief? Because if you track it back to the person who told you, then who told them, and go back far enough, it's going to be a running shoe company that taught some kid at a store what to say, and you believed it because they had a great misuse of physics in their little experiment about what it is, or misuse of you know how cognitive psychology works. Um, and but there's no proof for what they do. In fact, every part of the modern athletic shoe, when I show it to you and talk about it, and talk about the problems, you're going to go, oh, that makes sense, and you're going to see that there's not one thing in that shoe that makes sense. 
And yet some of you are still going to want to believe that that's the better option. And that blows my, I mean, I understand it. I was a cognitive psych major. I get how minds work in this regard, but it still just blows me away that what's so screamingly obvious is still being presented as uh, somebody said to me once, they said, um, you're going to, you guys, you barefoot guys, you think that if someone gets injured when they're running barefoot, it's just because they have bad form. And I went, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and your point is, hey, while you guys are talking, I want to go get a little visual aid. So I don't know oh, visual aid. Okay. Then, uh, then Eric, wait, then you start talking about to the extent that you have the info and we'll fill in Chris in a bit. Um, there's been a lot of movements if we can do it that way, for turning the original book into a TV show or a movie. Do you want to talk about that? I mean, each of you can talk about what did or didn't happen with that and where that may be going if you want to tease that. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the, the past history. So um, I think it was 2010, we got wind of a possible movie that was going to be directed by Peter Sarsgaard. His, I can see if I can get this right, his brother-in-law is Jake Gyllenhaal. And so long story short, all of a sudden, Chris and I are in Leadville with Jake and Peter learning how to film uh, a race and running running all the, around the mountains of, of Leadville with, with those guys for a couple of days and hit it off and had a great time. And it was like, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty epic. Met Peter in Brooklyn and just kind of this cool little circle of uh, what was eventually going to be this movie. Well, Chris could take it from here, but it all fell apart. And uh, Chris, where are we at? Well, it's kind of interesting to see how the Hollywood sausage making takes place because what would happen is three or four different screenwriters would be commissioned to do a script. And what they kept doing was taking the story of Born to Run and transforming it into their own story of middle-aged insecurity and mid-aged crisis. And so the story kept turning into basically a 90-minute shouting match between me and Micah with a race at the end. Uh, it was not entertaining and it was unfilmable. It's that happened again and again. But anyway, luckily, one of the unexpected benefits was someone who read Born to Run is a guy named Chris Bender, a producer who's done films like The Hangover and Mulan and a bunch of other things. He became a client of Eric's. So I guess he was up at one of your training camps, Eric, right? In, in Jackson yeah. Hole. And he said, hey, by the way, what's going on with Born to Run? And Eric's like, yeah, we'll call it Chris. And so he calls me out of the blue, and it turns out the rights had just reverted back to me. So it was a rare opportunity to actually put the book in the hands of someone who influential it. who gets it. And yeah. so that's where it is right now. So the idea is they are going to turn, hoping to turn it into an eight-part television series, a limited uh, edition, a limited series. And literally at today, uh, at this moment, it is out to studios for thumbs up, thumbs down. They got it out mm. to six different studios. Fingers, fingers so, crossed. And look, if it doesn't pan out, um, we can talk about um, wait, you, uh, the Born to Run project, which I think is a perfect TV show concept as well. So that if this doesn't pan out, you got something in your back pocket that I would argue might even be even better. But I want to see if you can confirm a story that I heard. So when you're up at Leadville, the story that I heard, I'll start it and you can finish it if, if you know what I'm talking about, is that Jake and, uh, and Peter, but in particular Jake, were sort of happy that they were in a community that was so into what they were doing that these Hollywood celebrities weren't being noticed and recognized. Am I on to the beginning of this? Yes. You are. And it was a really, yeah, it was a great moment. So, so we're up there for three or four days and they were actually camping out. I had like a little cabin down by the turnaround point of the race course. Uh, but these guys were camping out in the woods, but like, this hurricane blew through. And so they're like sort of huddled in the rain miserably. And 
they would show up at race events and, you know, Jake had a big old beard on and sunglasses and a hat and they were just coming out of the woods and they looked like they just came out of the woods. Nobody noticed them. Nobody cared. And after a day or two, you can just start to see that, well, the, the hat comes off, the sunglasses come off. He's, he's no longer like ducking his head down, his head's up. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. And at one point, actually during the race, Jake and I are standing at like the 40 mile park and he's standing out in the sun. And he actually got his shirt off enjoying the sunshine. And he goes, oh, man, it is so nice to be here. Like, nobody's paying any attention. I can just be myself. I don't have to worry about cameras. At that moment, we see these two people do a double take and like look at us and point. And they're digging in their bags for something. And they pull out a camera. And they come hustling over. And Jake just kind of sighs. He's like, well, I spoke too soon. And they come up to us. And they hand the camera to Jake. And they say, would you take a picture of us with, with, with Chris McDougall? <laughs> and I said, dude. Only in this town, on this day, <laughs> am I a bigger draw than you, you know? But he loved it, man. He's just like, hey, he took like 75 frames. He's like reposing us and repositioning us. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, it, it, hey, uh, I got to show you my visual aid. Uh-oh, here so we go. you're talking about the sports shoe market, right? And how it's bigger, bigger, bigger. The most valuable professional athlete during his era was Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And Kobe Bryant insisted against a lot of opposition from Nike. Yeah. I want a lower shoe. I want a lower shoe. And he got the shoe he wanted. By right around the manifestation, like the Kobe 7, Kobe 8 or so, he was getting pretty low to the ground. Yeah. By the Kobe 11, it is, it is the lowest slung, most minimal uh, basketball shoe on the planet. This is a pair of Kobe 11s. Um, Steven, you got to say, that is not too far from something you would have on your own shelf, right? No. Well, you know, here, in fact, I, I saw the videos where he was being interviewed and talking about what he thought a great basketball shoe would be. And he was describing that, except, you know, the one problem, hold it up, hold it up, uh, hold it up this way so people can see this part. That's the only thing yeah. that's still completely screwed up is, you know, I mean, here's the joke. There are a lot of basketball players who have feet that are shaped like that pointy toe box because they've been shoving their feet into pointy toe boxes, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. But otherwise, yeah, you know, I mean, Irene Davis has a great line. She always says to like, whenever we're on panel discussions or whatnot, and there's some guy from Adidas and Brooks. And yes, I said Adidas to be pretentious because I'm in the shoe business and that's the way you say it. Um, uh, or if you're really pretentious and you can use people, you can use this at dinner parties, just refer to it as Adi. That's the way people in the industry do it. So anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, point being is that um, what was the point? Um, oh, uh, Irene will say to these guys from you know big shoe companies. So in the '60s we were playing ba- and '70s we were playing basketball in in Chuck Taylors, and people weren't getting the kind of injuries, the severity of injuries, the number of injuries that we're getting now. So what problem were you trying to solve, and why didn't it work? And there's dead silence in response. So yeah, that's so not I'll, too far off. I'll show you this, this. This is my personal pair. They are size 14 because I am an abnormally large human being. I have to tell you, the toe box, which looks narrow, is actually extraordinarily forgiving. So I have a pretty wide foot, and this really right. does there's not so, binding. So you're 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 showing my favorite thing, which is when people say, "Well, you know, how is this shoe wide enough for me?" I say, "How the hell am I supposed to know?" They go, "Well, I'm a two double E, I'm a three triple E, whatever the hell they say." I go, "No, you're missing the point." Yeah. Footwear sizing in the toe, uh, there's two things about that. One is it's a three-dimensional thing. Three-dimensional shoes, three-dimensional foot. If your foot is wide but low, you might stretch it out sideways. If your foot is narrow but high, you might stretch it out vertically. Either of those could work. So you can't take a two-dimensional measurement and apply it to a three-dimensional thing. But I would still argue, even though it's stretching in that point where you're showing around the ball of your foot, the pointy thing that happens after that is still, I would argue, problematic. Just yeah. because Although of, I'll know, say it's being a user, not a professional, I find this an extraordinarily comfortable sh- to the point of look at this. I've now blown these things out. Yeah, playing on 
hardtop outdoor surfaces. I'm 60 years old, play basketball twice a week, to the point where now I've, I've now destroyed these things. If the technology that's supposed to save me worked, these would not work for me. You know, right. I am a 60-year-old dude with a, a gigantic body, and I hopefully already you can see where they're actually worn out, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out here, all here. So even the basketball court, when I can't focus on my running form, it's still locked in. Well, yeah. I'll, t- I'll, I'll say something. So we got call a call from, first of all, we're doing a bunch of stuff with the NBA right now, and hopefully we'll have something fun to play with. But um, we got a call years ago from a WNBA player who said, I've been wearing your shoes and sandals off the court, and my feet and ankles have become indestructible. I wish you had a basketball shoe. Well, we had taken our first hiking boot, and someone said, this is just like a basketball shoe. It's like an old Chuck Taylor. And so Dennis, our chief product officer, who used to work at Converse, kind of stripped it down and made a basketball shoe. Hold that thought. And um, and so we had made something and we sent it to her and it wasn't quite the right size. But so she said, I can't wear it because it's not quite the right size. Does it work for me? Except I couldn't sprain my ankle on these if you paid me to. And the one thing she commented on, though, and it may come to your point of, you know, when you showed that there was wear on the heel as well as on, under that first med head is that um, she's, you know, I need some, I, I like not having padding in general, but I'm coming down from a rebound. I don't have that much control and I need something to take care of me if I'm, you know, coming down from a rebound on some weird ass part of my foot. And so this is a project that we are very actively engaged in and uh, which would be super, super fun. Um, and so we're, we're working that problem. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. I know a guy knows a guy. He'll, we'll hook you up. I think it's really important, though, because this idea, people say, well, it's hard to learn running form. You got to concentrate on it. Once you get it, like I said, in the middle of the game, yeah, I'm still landing the way I want to. I'm still running down a basketball court at full blast in traffic the same way I would if I was out running on a trail. Hey, yeah. Steve, I do have a question, though. So could this be resold with a zero sole? Oh, boy. out now. Um, may- Is it possible? Like, sort of- Maybe. I don't know. We'd have to take a look at it. We'll have to see. I can see some. I'm just wondering. Like, uh, Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. If I could turn this into like a Franken shoe with a Kobe upper yeah. and a zero uh, sole or low. Because uh, I hate to throw these. I'm not going to throw these away, but I'm oh, not going to play them anymore. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. a there, project there. there I'll just a couple try. of options. Uh, next time you're out here, bring it out. We'll take a look with our product guys. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. Moving on. So movie things. Oh, so let's talk about um, what... Is it now officially born the Born to Run project? Uh, I mean, Operation Rerun, that one? Yeah, well, or, yeah. Oh, Alexa told me. The, web, the webinar series? Oh, no, oh, that's what we're doing that. Oh, so, no, no. Let's leave that for a second. Okay, well, here, we'll tease that. So there's a couple things going on. So first things first, we I got we to back up to the very beginning. Born to Run 2 is coming out in the U.S. on December 6th. So if you're listening to this after that, go find it in your local bookstore, or you'll be able to find it at zeroshoes.com and zero, maybe zeroshoes.eu. I'm not sure. So, But along with that, we are to all three of us doing a webinar series. That's the born to run project. Is that what that's being called? I can't keep these things in my head. What are we calling that? Well, we're looking at either the born to run reboot or the born to run method. Ooh, I like, I'll I'll tell you why I like reboot. Um, This is the same argument that I had with, um, come on, man, I hate it when my brain just turns off. Uh, with Nick Romanoff, um, who's got pose method. And I said to Nick, the problem with uh, calling it pose method is it makes people think, oh, I have to learn something to do, but why would I need to learn a thing? I know how to run, you know, I've got legs. So if you call it method, then you're setting yourself up against other people in a way and against people's own brain. So I would 
this is my advice. Do with health you want with it. But I'd go for I like born. I like reboot. I think that's a fun one. Um, so and there's a fun pun in there too. So well, here you can talk about that, and then we'll talk about uh, Operation Rerun. Okay, or you were right. Reboot is the way to go. Uh, I, <laughs> I five, Mr. Orr. I already suggested. I'm like, yeah, but and this is always the way. Let me let me play with it. Let me play with it. And then I'm like, all right, I just should have just left it alone from the beginning. So now you're two for two for losing on good names. Uh, I could have been three for three because I didn't want to name the book Born to Run. I was against that title. What were you going to uh, call it? Didn't like it at all. Oh, dude, you don't even want to know. So oh, I, totally I put Born to Run in there as a placeholder. So when I, I, I wrote a proposal and we we're going to take it out to publishers and my book agent's wife said, hey, why don't you just call it Born to Run? I'm like, well, whatever. I got no other title. Let's just stick Born to Run on there as a placeholder while we put it out there to publishers as a proposal. And then the book was contracted and I spent two years working on it. And then I turned it in with a whole list of alternate titles, which are very long and complicated. And uh, my editor was like, well, what's this? Like, you have a title. I go, no, 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 no. It's too obvious. It's too boring. It's like, boring's good. Memorable's good. Three <laughs> words are good. It's born to run idiot. Shut up. So I never liked it and I rebelled against it. But um, I, I get the logic of it now. I'm glad, yeah. I'm, glad I went, I'm, I'm glad I went 0 for 3 on titles. All right. You know, you got to know where your strengths are. Yeah, it ain't that. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's do the Born to Run reboot first, then we'll do Operation Rerun. Eric, you start. Yeah. So Born to Run reboot is going to be, I don't, I don't think we've con- condensed it or know how many episodes yet, but it's going to be a webinar, mm-hmm. a zero shoe webinar, that the first episode will kind of be kind of bringing people in from Born to Run and how Born to Run 2 came about and what Born to Run 2 is all about, and in a general sense. And then episode two then will begin with kind of really attacking the part of the the free seven in the book. The free seven are the the kind of the pillars of the ultimate training guide in the book. And so the first of those, we're going to mesh food and footwear together and how Mm. similar they actually are. Mm. So, yeah, the point that we don't know how long this is going to go, it's going to be, are we doing it weekly? Are we doing it monthly? I can't remember what the... Monthly. Yeah. So it's going to be a monthly webinar series. Um, Not going to cost anything, but it's going to, and part of it's going to be interactive. So you'll be able to talk to Chris and Eric and get questions answered, et cetera. But we just want to give people an opportunity to experience this um, either before they've gotten the book to inspire them to go grab it and play with it or afterwards to, you know, really look at how things are getting implemented, which brings me to the implementation part, brings me to Operation Reboot. By the way, this is the part that I think will make a killer television show. Yeah. Operation Rerun. Oh, Rerun. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the whole idea behind Operation Rerun is really looking at taking some select runners who maybe need a reboot, similar to Chris for Born to Run, or just haven't been able to put their running together. And we kind of just take them as a project. And really, that's where the the Project Rerun kind of comes from, of really taking a, a 30-day condensed period of time to get them back on the runway where they can take their running in any direction they want to take it. When I talk to people about this idea, I say, if this were a TV show, it's like the biggest loser goes running. And I think the what I love about that idea, and this is why I'm going to keep pushing you guys to do it, is that 
it brings this whole idea of natural movement, of going out and having fun, of doing it in a way that fits the way you work down to a level where, again, it just makes it really accessible for anybody. I mean, right. one of the things about running, and we haven't talked about this at all, is that, or I'll say it this way, my favorite thing about track and field as a track and field athlete is that you discover that not everyone's the same. And into that sounds really stupid, but you know, the sprinters are a whole different world than the milers and a whole different world than the 5k guys and a whole different world than the 10k guys. And I mean, it really is an opportunity to find your own thing because you got to compete in a specific race at a specific distance or a field event. Um, And I think a lot of people don't give themselves the opportunity to, to find that thing. That's the way it works for them when they're not like in that kind of confined or contained ecosystem where, you know, there are different races of different lengths. And one of the things that I like about the whole idea of Operation Rerun is it does give people, in addition to just taking someone from wherever they are to 30 years later, getting them as good as they can be, it has the opportunity to get get people to realize there's a way in for everybody if you want to take it. And it doesn't have to, and and again, it's not onerous. It's not yet another self-improvement project. It's not a thing to beat yourself up with. It's a thing you do as just sort of an expression of being a living human being that can be enjoyable if you, you know, in the way you want it. Now that said, for me, one of the reasons that I love competitive sprinting is I like competing. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of reason to train as a sprinter unless you're going to enter a race because it's really hard, especially at 60. Um, but, you know, when there's a race that I, I find that fun when there's some big muscly guy next to me, because everyone's bigger and musclier than I am um, at the beginning of a race. And they go, you know, hey, good luck. Have a good race. And they're all intense. And I go, hey, dude, there's no prize money. There's no sponsorship. I hope you make it to the end without getting injured and you have a good time. Oh, and by the way, I totally want to kick your ass. And so it's fun just to you know, be old enough to be that honest with each other. It's like having a secret handshake. You know, you're working this hard to not slow down to. Uh, we're all morons who are all, you know, stupidly competitive. So let's go have a good time. But you, you zeroed in on the, ah, how about that? You zeroed in. Ooh. Yeah. Zeroing in. Yeah, we played with that. All right, okay. There's something, I don't, there's I don't, something I don't, there. Yeah, there's something there. I don't know what to do with it yet. Yeah. Neither do I, but you, you're zeroing in on what the whole point is about, Stephen, is it's the joy in the activity for the sake of the activity. And that's really what Operation Rerun's all about. Yeah. Almost always when there's something about, like you talk about the biggest loser, it's actually a sort of a downward spiral. It, it comes from a position totally. like you're doing something wrong, there's something wrong with you, you're eating things wrong, it's wrong, wrong, wrong. And what Eric does in Operation Rerun is that, hey, it's right, right, right. Everything becomes like, like the experience that I had in the park. Like, hey, just do it. You don't need a lot of instruction. Run around this field barefoot. Oh, it feels right. Sprint a little bit. Oh, it feels right. It's on an upward spiral of feeling good, feeling good. Yeah. And the biggest lesson of all is you only need 30 days. And in the 30 days, you're good to go, dude. You're on your own glide path. And that's what we like about it. It's letting people out of the cage to go. And I think what makes this, this operation unique is the fact that people will feel joyful, not feeling like, they're being disciplined or scolded. They're going to feel like they're being supported and rewarded. And each thing makes the next thing feel even better and better and better. The, I mean, it's true. The biggest loser is very restrictive and annoying. Um, so this is kind of the biggest winner goes re- goes running, but that's a different story. But I want to comment. I mean, you just, uh, you know, you came up with zero in, but in that last comment, you came up with another great slogan that I think we can use. I think, what did you say? Just do it. I think I'm going to write that one down. I think, uh, <laughs> hey, you know what though, too? Put it on top of this little mark here too. Once you combine those two things, that's what is that's that a winner. thing? 
That's weird. I don't like know. A, it looks yeah. kind of weird. It's like a weird. It's like a, it's like a fish hook. Is it a fish hook or something? Yeah. Maybe yeah. a fish hook. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. I think that's right? what it is. Just do it. Fish hook. Well, hey, so so that's a good segue uh, for the following. Now, because um, let's talk footwear. And I, I got to say this as a prelude to this next section. You know, in the early Born to Run days, in the early days of Zero Shoes, basically 2010, because we started the end of 2009, we got, holy crap, dude, we have our 13th anniversary coming up in just a couple of days, which um, I just realized, thank you, I've got to figure out what the, I don't know what date it is. I got, all right. Okay. Ah, crap. It's not going to be on a day where I can just bring champagne into the office. Um, but I'll, I'll do it next Monday instead. Anyway. Um, you know, we used to joke that you were our unofficial marketing department because anytime you would go and do a book signing, we'd see a bump in traffic. We'd see a bump in sales. Um, and I told you one of the things that I did as a little guerrilla marketing technique is I just made, I made little business cards basically, um, that every time I'd go buy a bookstore, I'd walk in and I'd put a couple in every copy of born to run. And then I made, 50,000 bookmarks and sent those out to customers who then did the same thing all around the country. So, um, so a thank you for that. Um, but, uh, and of course this was the days where we were selling a do it yourself barefoot running sandal kit. So basically how to make your own sandals. We still sell these, they sell a lot, how to make your own sandals based on this 10,000 year old design idea. Um, so that was, those are the way back when, but you have been quite, um, I'm going to suggest, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, deliberately footwear agnostic for the last 13 years. And uh, and Eric, I know you were, you know, like trying to do something stupid, like get into the footwear business, which we were warned against at the seven month mark. Ooh, there you go. So talk about your experiences and relationships with footwear over the last 13 years. Let me start, if you don't mind, Eric, because yeah. I think the reason I kept myself out of it was because, number one, I wrote Born to Run from a position of like, I'm not sure about this stuff. Like I'm showing you what I've seen, you know, the only barefoot runner I knew at that point was barefoot Ted. And I was yeah. not going to put my hand on a Bible and swear to anything that was coming out of this guy's mouth uh, at that point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think what I was doing was like, Hey, look, here's, here's what I'm saying. It seems to work. There seems to be a long lineage. That's the best I can say, which I think was actually a good position because it was a non-threatening, non-preachy position and let people, Decide for themselves. And on top of that, I, you know, I come from, you know, a, a hard news journalism reporting backgrounds where you never, ever are supposed to show any kind of a bias or a position. And the first way to discredit a journalist is by suggesting that they're getting paid to do to say something. And so I want to make it very clear was, hey, man, nobody is putting me on a payroll to say this stuff. And so I was not going to take a position on that at all. Even with, you know, so Beaver Five Fingers saw its real, uh, you know, sort of skyrocketing growth at that period. And I personally was wearing them, but I never promoted them. I never had any kind of business deals with them. And I wanted to maintain that position until I was willing to put all the cards on the table and say, this is what I know. This is what I believe. And this is what I'm willing to sort of hang my reputation on. So it took me until now. So literally, I would say within the past couple of months before I was willing to do that. Um, yeah, you may as well tell people um, where you landed because we have we've been maybe hinting but haven't said it out loud. Yeah, yeah. So, born to run. There will be a born to run model of shoes coming out from Zero Shoes, and I will say this with all conviction: this is the first time I am ever wanted to do it. And it actually happened backwards. It was because when Eric was first, I guess seeing some reviews. Eric, what was your what was your experience with the actual shoe line of, of Zero Shoes? I had I forget. Which models I had a, f a few of them and 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 just really really enjoyed them. And when we were discussing 
that chapter in Born to Run 2, it had been a while since I tried them. And I said, well, maybe this is an opportunity to see, you know, I'll reach out to Steven and see if we can, you know, just try some on for our, our recommendations in the book. And, you know, they completely blew us away. And, you know, so then, you know, we, we scrapped some of our suggestions because this was like right at the deadline yeah. and snuck them in um, based on our, our quick trying of them. And they're, you know, I, I was just talking with Steven before we jumped on. I just tried the new Forza Roadrunner Zero Shoe in it. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's it, and I know what's coming down the road too, and I'm really excited about everything that's going on. And it's it's exactly what I've been looking for personally, just from an interest in shoes. But um, it's it's just a everybody should be really excited. Well, we are. Oh, shoot, so first of all, just, go ahead. I'm going to say shoot because I just uh, uh, Alexa, your colleague, offered me a pair of fours. I'm like. Honestly, I've got enough shoes. I can't wear them out. I'm trying to destroy these Zalans. They won't die. My, my freaking Kobe's have worn out faster than my Zalans. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, shit, maybe, maybe I want a pair of those forces after all. They sound pretty damn good. Yeah, I know a guy who you can buy them from. Uh, I mean, I know a guy. <laughs> so, well, like, a reasonable price. Yeah, we well, no, totally unreasonable. Um, so just to let people know, um, the two shoes that we're making Born to Run versions of, one is the Zellin, which is our road running shoe. The other is a version of the Mesa Trail, our trail running shoe. They're going to be, there's there's a number of things that we're really excited about with these. One is they're going to be co-branded. They have special colorways just for what we're doing together. Uh, it's going to have Born to Run on there and Zero on there. The other is that we're taking a percentage, not a percentage, a dollar amount uh, from what we charge people to buy these shoes. And that's going to be donated uh, to the Tatamara through an organ. Well, we think it's going to be through. Uh, well, anyway, we're deciding how it's going to get down to them. Uh, it's the best thing I can say, because we really we are all obviously so inspired by the Tatamara. They're having many, many problems where getting some capital down there can be really helpful. There's also going to be some other special things tossed into your box, some little things, gifts from the Tatarmara, for example. Uh, there'll be an opportunity to get a copy, a signed copy of Born to Run, probably as a little bundle. So that's all. We don't have a, a specific date for that right now. This all happened really, really fast and making things, especially shoes, takes a while. So it's going to be in the spring. Until then, you can get those shoes. And we're going to use your link to tell people about doing that in the show notes. But I'll say it now um, uh, that if you go to zeroshoes.com slash go slash BTR, born to run, um, you can get any of those shoes. And that's also going to be uh, helpful for Chris and for Eric. Um, and we're going to be doing something for the Tatarmara. So just FYI, just there's some time in advance or depending on when you're listening to this, maybe this is already happening, but be on the lookout for that. And we couldn't be happier, obviously, um, to now make it official that you're part of our marketing department. So instead of just, you know, tag teaming and trying to do guerrilla things to to jump in there. But I also want to emphasize something that that we've kind of been talking about a lot and and want to highlight we couldn't be you know, again happier about your involvement and all the things that we're going to be developing and releasing in 2023 and 2024. Um, but again, this is about two things. This is about form, not footwear. Just so happens that different footwear informs the form differently, and it's about um, having a good time. So you know, keep those two things in mind because that's why we're doing this together and why we're already having fun doing that. Um, it, it's it's really important. We don't want to just have people have this idea that footwear is just a panacea or footwear is the instant correction to all 
whatever you might have going on. This is a process of returning to, restoring, rebooting uh, what it is to have a good time, to let your body be something that you can enjoy and go running as one expression of that. Did I get it wrong? It's really good. And, you know, something that it was slow to dawn on me, uh, Stephen, is, you know, putting something on your feet is, is essential pleasure. It's like enjoying a good meal. And it took me a while to process that because why do I have seven different models of shoes? I only need one or two. Why do I have seven? Because each one is a different meal and your, yeah. your foot senses it. And like when I got, first got the Zellens, so, you know, Eric said, hey, man, you should check out these Zero shoes. And I got some from Steven. They're pretty goddamn good. They went online, sniffed around, and the reviews were very heartfelt. Like people who were reviewing were super excited. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. These are experienced trail runners, and they're really jazzed. So then you guys sent me out a box of shoes. And the thing about it was there might have been like seven or eight different models. <laughs> and after two weeks, I'd only gotten to the top layer. Yeah. I put on the Zalans and never took them off. So yeah. I was running on roads. I thought, I wonder how these things are on trails. They're great on trails. Hey, I wonder if I can run through the creek in this thing. They're great in the water. <laughs> I was running across a basketball court. I mean, it's squeaking like a goddamn basketball shoe. Like, this is an all-purpose shoe. And then I would get home, and this was the test. I would forget they were on. I'd be walking around the kitchen two hours later. Oh, they're still on my feet. So I, I started to realize one thing about a shoe is if it makes you feel, like, joyful, if your foot feels good, like it wants to do things, just the way when you take the first bite of a meal, like, oh, I want more. You know, yeah. This is sensual joy. And that's what started to catch my interest. And then I tried the Mesa Trails, the same thing. Like, God damn, it's got a good lug. Everything feels good about it. And that's when the wheels started spinning. And like, you know, shoes should not be the thing that I need to put on so I won't get hurt. Shoes should be a thing I put on because, boy, it feels good. And I'm going to feel better the more I do in them. And, and that's what really got me interested. Thanks. And, you know, this is the thing. It's like um, the example I get, people ask me two of our sandals. One's called the Z-Trek, one's the Z-Trail. The Z-Trek is literally just six millimeters of rubber strapped onto your foot. The Z-Trail has a slightly grippier tread, um, has a layer of what we call trail foam in the middle to kind of ease out the bumps and a layer of bare foam on the top for the footbed. So it's a little extra protection, a little extra comfort. And I said, so when people are asking me for advice about which one to get, I go, you know, when I've been wearing the Trek for a while, the one that's closer to barefoot, and then I put on the trail. It's like, oh, now I got a little vacation. Now, I mean, I'm still feeling the ground. I'm still responding, but it's, you know, I'm just not as much sensation, which sometimes can be a little overwhelming to one's brain. And then after I wear the trail for a while, I put on the trek again. It's like, oh my God, I can feel things. Oh, I missed feeling things. And it's the same thing with the shoes. So I don't wear as many as my wife does. I think Lena maybe owned five pairs of shoes when we got together. Now she has at least three of everything we make. And I have like three pairs of shoes. So I just go from like the Speed Force, the HFF, or the Zellen or now, I mean, there, it, it's just, but it, it, to your point, it's like, it's another expression of like, what do I want to do that's fun today? And what's the right shoe for that? And so, and we've got one yeah. for all of those. So it's been, it's you know, kind of ridiculous what our shoe closet looks like. You know, it's kind of funny. So we were in New York uh, for a few days and we were at Rome 149, which uh, has those virtual reality treadmills, which are a, a blast. And so I've been running around in the Z Trek the whole time yeah. I was in New York, Z Trek. But that day, we were going to do a long run all the way across the city and across the, uh, the Manhattan Bridge into Brooklyn. And I've been running on asphalt for about three or four days at that point. And then I saw a pair of the Z trails. Like, ooh, can I take these? Are they in my size? I'm like, they are in your size. Can I take them? In that moment, just like upgrading just a little bit of, of, of sink beneath my foot felt like a real pleasure running across the Manhattan Bridge. But I did the exact same thing. Yeah. I took it off their wall, put it on my feet, put the treks into my backpack, and then ran in the treks all day. It just felt like 
perfect for those conditions. Uh, you know what's funny um, about that shoe, about the Z Trail, is the amount of um, when you step on it, the amount that the foam compresses is a really tiny amount, like a millimeter. And yet we experience that people report. It's like, oh, my God, this is so comfortable. And I can only imagine that from an evolutionary perspective, there was a time where that little amount of give was telling us something good's about to happen. There's either food nearby or water nearby or you know something. I don't know what else, but something because it doesn't make sense. That tiny, tiny amount of cushioning registers as that big of a change that much comfort and i i i don't i haven't talked to lieberman would be a perfect person to talk to since he's an anthropologist about this but it, it's just a theory that i've been batting around for a number of years you know who's had actually the greatest insight in that uh, was barefoot ken bob you know from the, the trial oh, yeah. of barefoot dude but barefoot ken bob pointed out that your foot is absorbs an inordinate amount of pain for what it does you know like you, you stub your toe you're ruined for an hour. Like you can't do anything, you know, yeah. the tiniest bit of sensation in your foot. And his whole point was, you know, we're shutting down the sensory diagnostic panel in our feet, but there's probably a reason why we sense so much in our feet yeah. because it is our first warning sign of like, Hey, the ground's too hot or it's too cold or it's too rough or it's too abrasive. You know, it's an early warning sign that we might be heading into trouble or heading towards something good. So maybe this is, he's got this mentality figured out that there are so many nerve clusters sending these impossible to ignore signal up from your feet. Yeah. Uh, and that, the benefit is that when things feel good, your feet are encouraging you, hey, move on. This, this is a good sensation. Yeah, yeah. And so the um, problem with the cushioning is it, it deadens all of that. You don't feel any of it. It's one of the things that I make when I show, here's all the things that are bad about modern athletic shoes. Like you've got all those nerve endings for a reason. You put a bunch of cushioning under that and suddenly you've made your feet numb and dumb. How does that make any sense? Yeah. And people go, oh, that yeah. makes sense. Like, what are you doing wearing those? That's a whole other story. Yeah. So, um, ay, ay, ay. I'm trying to think if there's anything that I left out from my brain. And since I can't think of anything at the moment, anything that we didn't cover that you guys want to share with the humans and the world and et cetera. Oh, I, I, mean, sure. I think we could have 10 of these. Well, that's true. Yeah. Look, we could do this all day long, especially, you know, me and the bald guy. So, um, and I only say that because I've got my hair pulled back and you can't see that. I was, ha I was having a killer hair day yesterday and today, not so much. <laughs> It's one of those things. Um, no, we definitely could, and we definitely will. Uh, so in lieu of anything else, just a reminder, A, um, well, here, I'll do the easy thing. People want to find out more about uh, Born to Run 2 and everything that's going on. Tell them where to go and what to do. Yeah, so kind of our big platform is Born to Run World. So really any handle on – we're basically prominent on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, Born to Run World. Um, and then Chris and I both have our own individual accounts. You know, I've got my YouTube, which is kind of my biggest platform that has Born to Run 2 supporting content as well as Born to Run World on YouTube. And then same well, wait, with pa Instagram. Pa pa pause there. So yep. first of all, um, for so Born to Run World on all the social channels, the website Born to Run dot world. And yes. your YouTube channel is what? It's Born to Run Coach. There you go. Yeah. Um, anywhere else that people are going to find you? Instagram and TikTok. We're trying to get our TikTok going. So come come visit us on TikTok. Yeah, it is. I can't tell you how much it saddens me that over the last 13 years, you guys have been relatively social media uh, invisible because it would have been really helpful for getting this book out there. But, you know, we're making up for it now. So, all right. So that's <laughs> yeah. Born to Run World and then Born to Run Coach on YouTube and uh, et cetera. Uh, and Chris? Yeah, Chris McDougall, author, is usually where you'll find me, you know, uh, 
or whatever the platform is, Instagram, Twitter, that kind of thing. Wherever people at or slash. So, um, all right, well, yeah. then let's wrap this one up for now. Again, a reminder, be on the lookout. If you haven't, if you're not part of the Zero Shoes uh, newsletter, go to zeroshoes.com slash newsletter. So you'll hear about when we're doing the, um, I've got to remember them now, the Born to Run reboot. You'll hear more about uh, everything that's coming out with the Born to Run shoes, uh, with the book that you'll be able to get on our site. What else about um, um, Operation Rerun? Uh, I mean, pretty much everything that Chris and Eric are able to do, we're going to be promoting that and talking about that. So that's one place you can find it in addition to subscribing at borndurun.world and on all of Chris's and Eric's channels. So definitely do that. Another reminder, go up to www.jointhemovementmovement.com, the site with the name that Chris wishes he thought of. Um, you'll find all of our previous episodes. You'll find the ways you can interact with us on social media, et cetera. Um, and if you have any questions or comments or feedback or ideas, just drop me an email, move at jointhemovementmovement.com. If, uh, I'll tell you, here's the one I'm requesting. If you can find someone who thinks that everything we just said is completely showing that we have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, uh, then... <laughs> <laughs> Send them my way because there's nothing that I would love than more than to talk to someone who thinks that we're completely nuts and just, you know, hash it out and see where it goes. I'm more than happy to be proven wrong, highly unlikely, but there's nothing I like more than when someone highlights that, you know, there's some error in the way that I'm thinking. My best friend called me out, this is a quick story, called me 20 years ago and says, you know what your biggest problem is? I went, ooh, this will be good. He says, you just like it when um, people tell you that, you know, you've done something incorrect or your thinking is out of whack and then you do it to other people. People. So, you know, you'll tell them when they're in a cognitive bias or have some fall fallacious thought or they're, you know, they've got some thing where they're a little misguided or they're just wrong. And you think they're going to respond the same way you do and be thankful. They think you're a complete asshole. And I said, <laughs> I said oh, my God. I've never put that together. And he goes, see, you just did it. So you just, uh, anyway. So um, so let's see if we can have some of these conversations and, and help more people have more fun. Speaking of which, that's the most important thing. Uh, again, thanks to Chris and Eric. Thanks to all of you for being here. So now go out and have fun and live life feet first. <laughs>